Welcome into another episode of New Track Record. Caleb Hatch and Justin Kinney with you. Justin joining us remotely. Hello, Justin. Hello, Caleb. How are you? Doing well. Um, we got plenty to talk about in IndyCar over the past weekend and even the past several days with some driver announcements. But we'll start with the Chevrolet Detroit Grand Prix races one and two. Uh, Pato Award winning race two with a, a thrilling restart with about seven laps to go to carve his way through the field. Race number one, a lot of controversy. Marcus Erickson gets his first IndyCar win for Chip Ganassi Racing. And uh, NBC, red flags, yeah. plenty to discuss <laughs> with that. Plenty to get to. Yes. I don't think we've had this much to talk about out of a Detroit uh, twin bill in quite some time, Caleb. And also the racing, I mean, it was probably some of the best racing we've seen all season. Absolutely. So I'll start, uh, we'll do our three takeaways. I'll start with my first one. I think my biggest takeaway from the weekend is whatever Aaron McLaren SP has got for Pato Awards car. I mean, that seemed to be on another level with that final restart. And I think it's clear as he is now the championship points leader by one point. First driver to win multiple races this season. If you would have told me that before the season, I would have said, well, I mean, maybe, but you know, we expected Dixon to be that guy or someone with Penske or even Colton Herta. Uh, So Pato word, I think my first takeaway, he's been so consistent all season long and another really strong weekend for him. Yeah, absolutely. And and we wondered when that first, uh, repeat winner would come. And if you bet Pato war at the beginning of the year to be that driver, I would say you probably want a hefty amount of money if there was a bet out there to win. Because while we expected Pato to get a win and maybe even multiple wins this year, I don't think anybody thought he would be the first to win multiple races in 2021. And uh, all it did was thrust him into the points lead by uh, by one point heading into Road America. And I found it interesting. Some of the drivers were questioning. I mean, look, he had another poll, uh, poll in race one and then one race two and Race two, largely on the fact that Newgarden's tires were shot, which we knew that was going to happen regardless at the end of the race in the final five laps or so. But the way Pato Award was able to pick people off and then blow past Newgarden uh, with a couple laps to go right at the end, um, people are questioning, you know, what what is that all about? And uh, Motorsport.com, I mean, all the all the major outlets that cover IndyCar basically had something on this. But Alex Pillow, uh, quoted in Motorsport.com, uh, David Malsher Lopez with the write up. Um, he says, uh, Pillow, who finished third, believes that the Aero McLaren SB is set up to turn the tires on rapidly, but also pays a price. And Pillow says, I think it's basically what we've been seeing all year. They were able to switch the tires on in one lap, and that's why they got so many pulls. Well, he's got two, and he's always up there in qualifying. But there's also, but that's also why he had to do an extra stop in Indy Road Course in St. Pete. There's a compromise, right? So he thinks you know, they know what it is. And Graham Rahal was kind of befuddled in, in earlier comments in the article, as were others, Colton Herta as well. So w- what is this uh, setup trick? What, you know, is it, you know, there's a lot of speculation. They could be something with the ECU because McLaren is the series provider of the ECUs, but that doesn't mm. seem as likely to me because they would be all spec unless they found a way to change the settings for theirs. But maybe we'll see something different at Road America. It does bring up some interesting questions, Caleb, and McLaren at large. As, you know, 
Am I saying that McLaren's doing something nefarious? I'm not going that far. But if you combine the questions over Pop Tool Award and his ability uh, to get up to speed and make passes that nobody else was able to do at Detroit, coupled with um, the serious accident for Felix Rosenquist in which, you know, almost, you know, four or five days after the fact, we still don't really have an explanation for and Chevy has been cleared of all wrongdoing or anything to blame. And the team is being very, very coy on what it possibly could be. Um, I mean, it brings up a couple questions around McLaren and the old, you know, if you're not cheating, you're not trying. I'm not outright saying that McLaren is cheating, but at the same time, I think we have some legitimate questions with both cars coming out of last weekend in terms of, you know, where is this coming from? Because I know it'll be a talking point later. We may as well just bring it up right now with Felix Rosenquist. That's an incident that we, I can't remember the last time we've seen something like that in IndyCar. It was scary, it was dangerous, and bizarre. Well, according to McLaren, um, the root cause was identified as a singular non-recurrent mechanical fault. The remedy has already been implemented, and the team is confident that the issue is now fully resolved. Whatever that means. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> of course, you know, absolutely. And and I know Marshall Pruitt kind of went into a little bit more detail on what it was or what it could be or what it's not. And uh, one of the lines that, that he put in his story that came out on racer.com, I think on Wednesday, um, it says, uh, within moments of the car being hauled away from the crash site, um, I'd heard, which Marshall Pruitt's writing this, that something wonky, wonky, yes, that is a technical term, <laughs> was found in the pedal assembly. It could be wrong or it could be right. Don't take it as anything other than a sharing of what was relayed. So could that be an indication of potentially something added to that car for a benefit somewhere? Uh, I, I don't know. I, I think it, it brings up a fascinating um, storyline to keep an eye on as we go further into the season is is McLaren not necessarily cheating, but are they finding ways to circumvent the rules uh, to find an added advantage? And I think, you know, I, I you look at Mercedes in, in Formula One, and they don't necessarily cheat, but they find loopholes. Could McLaren be doing that very thing in IndyCar, potentially? And, and you can't have Pato's, you know, rapid restart without discussing Rosenquist crash and whatever happened there. Right. You know, like you can't just take one and leave out the other. Yeah. They're not doing something to one car, not doing it to the other, you know, potentially. So uh, I think this is a storyline that maybe isn't getting a lot of attention right now. I think maybe behind the scenes, behind closed doors off the record, it is, but nobody wants to willingly go on the record and outright accuse McLaren of anything or whatever. It could be some, it could be nothing who knows, but, yeah, like you said, Caleb, the questions with Pato Awards car and now the questions with Felix Rosenquist's incident uh, could, you know, really bring to head something that McLaren has found um, to do their cars or circumvented a rule or what. And I think it's a it's definitely something to watch going forward into the second half of the season. Oh, for sure. And and. I'm, again, not trying to take anything away from what they did over the weekend, but it, it was a very bizarre crash, and I'm sure you'll have more on that in one of your points. But with Pato Award, look, they they found a talent, they hired him, 
it's worked out. It's the first time I think they've had a driver who is championship caliber since Simon Pagenaud left the team. So clearly something is working correctly, but events over the weekend with that restart by Pato and his tires and also the Rosenquist crash, just some very, very bizarre circumstances. All right. What's your first takeaway? Let's talk willpower, please. <laughs> and the incident that was, um, you know, the, the late race craziness of, of race one and not being able to restart the car. And part of me is, you know, that's just been Penske's luck this year, right? Yeah. They've and had, it, they've had terrible know, luck for a team with uh, a lot of podiums this year and no wins. Right. Absolutely. So, Part of me was, was was feeling bad for Penske, and then I kind of hesitated. Well, what am I doing? Why am I feeling I'm sorry for a team that's won, you know, 18, 8500s and all that? And, you know, I, I, I struggled to feel sorry even for Will Power. And, and I, you know, people, uh, you know, either rise to the occasion or they don't when um, things go wrong. And I've been critical of Will Power before on this podcast, and, and, Things like the last weekend are why is because he outright lashes out, you know, every conspiracy theory in the world, um, not only blames, you know, the ECU potentially or the series for throwing the red, but, you know, getting into incidents with drivers that, you know, what, what he said are, shouldn't even be out here, um, you know, not making friends in the paddock and, and quite frankly, you know, maybe, it, yeah, it, this time it wasn't his fault, really, but there's been plenty of times that it has been his fault. And, you know, I just get I just get tired of the willpower shtick, Caleb, to be honest. I mean, he's a guy that, um, while I don't hate, I don't even dislike, I'm pretty apathetic when things go wrong, and I feel like, you know, true colors are shown in adversity. And I think we've seen willpower's true colors quite a few times in his career with IndyCar, and last weekend was just the latest example. Well, and this all was set off by what Romain Grosjean called a tire puncture that caused his crash late in race number one. Now, obviously, they had to go to a red flag when Rosenquist uh, crashed. That that was a given. Now, with Grosjean, it was a toss-up. What was there, like seven laps to go when that happened? six, maybe. Okay, so there's still time, and IndyCar has the right, and they've done this at, at tracks besides the Indy 500. I mean... Notably, the Indy 500, they did it in 2014 uh, toward the end. But, I mean, they did this in Fontana uh, before, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Yes. They did this over the weekend. And to me, would there have been time to get a restart underway? Probably for, like, what, two or three green flag laps at the end? But Yeah, I would say so. It's not like IndyCar did something untoward like this was not against the rules IndyCar reserves the the right to throw a red flag for a green flag finish and I understand that that can be viewed as gimmicky um I I, I guess to me everyone was dealt the same hand and it was just incredibly bad luck for willpower like genuinely that was incredibly bad luck um but also because it's willpower you're gonna kind of hear a lot more about it compared to probably other drivers and the issue yeah. that he blamed it on, you know, the, the ECU, which Marshall Pruitt, I believe, did a write-up on this on Racer.com, that it was not the ECU as far as it overheating. And they even theorized on the Sunday qualifying broadcast for race two that could it be because his car is matte black, could the, the heat, you know, absorbed by the car, could that have hurt the ECU and hurt the engine? And that was found not to be the cause. Um, 
everyone was dealt the same hand. The other three cars right behind him came in right behind him, and they had to wait, you know, until all the cars were lined up on pit lane. So again, all the things that we heard right after the fact were not the problem. And I think Mike Hall had some sort of explanation or someone. And it went way into the weeds for me to fully understand. But essentially, there are different settings on the ECU. And sometimes the software just craps out. That's It was the same thing that happened to uh, Hunter Ray and Rossi before the start of Texas last year, correct? Yeah, I think a similar problem. And look, when you when you have so much that is computerized on these cars and a lot of fly-by-wire type things, there are no you know not many cables and and pinions and all that stuff that are there uh, that are in these cars anymore. You're going to have software issues. You're going to have hardware issues, and that's just what bit will power. And and you know what? If he was in second place, if he was in Marcus Erickson's spot, and that would have happened to the to the leader, and he benefited. Um, I, I have a hard time thinking he'd be uh, complaining this much. I mean, it you know, stuff happens, right? And yeah. sometimes it, it works to your benefit, and sometimes it doesn't. And I feel there are a lot of drivers out there that have had a lot worse luck than Will Power over the years that handle it in a more mature and adult manner. And that's endearing, in my opinion. Whereas when, when other guys are faced with adversity, they don't handle it well, and they lash out, and they blame others, and they throw fellow drivers under the bus, and whether they you know, deserve it or not is inconsequential. It's, it's, you know, you got to hold back a little bit, and he didn't. And I know some people will appreciate that, and I'm not saying he was wrong, but there's a time and place for it, and, and it's, not, it's, it's just one of those deals. It didn't work out for you, and I know you're frustrated, but you gotta, you got to – uh, hold yourself into a higher standard, and it's Team Penske, and they high, they they uh, you know hold themselves to the utmost standard, and I'm wondering if that trickles down to drivers even. I mean, could could Will Power have been sat down and talked to over his attitude? Quite frankly, I mean, maybe I don't know, but he sits now 11th in the standings, um, has one top 10 in his last uh, six races, and so you may have take, gotten the win taken away from you on Saturday, but by and large, your season has been largely forgettable and you can only blame so many people about that uh, until you have to look in the mirror. True. I mean, he, he made a mistake in the pits, in the Indy 500. Um, look, he dominated race one. Joseph Newgarden dominated race two. The whole team has to be frustrated. They didn't come away with a sweep because I mean, they had the field covered over the weekend, but let's not forget the, the, bizarreness if you will of the weekend all started on Friday when Will Power and the post practice presser wanted to fight uh Kyle Bush Kyle Bush <laughs> I mean I, I mean I don't know how that conversation even started uh bizarre but I don't think he's the only one that would want to fight Kyle Bush both in the IndyCar paddock and particularly the Cup paddock <laughs> yeah so um, not only, you know, does he rub people the wrong way, and he's, you know, in a lot of ways, he's very willpower-esque in terms of we'll say what's on his mind. Um, but, you know, Kyle Busch, I think, also has a highly punchable face, to be honest. <laughs> so uh, I like Kyle Busch. I don't mind him, but I can see why he rubs other people the wrong way. But I think, quite frankly, uh, get a couple beers and a lot of the IndyCar uh, drivers uh, behind closed doors, and I think a fair amount of them would like to punch willpower, to be honest. How many do you think would want to punch you? 
Oh, a fair amount. I mean, uh, <laughs> I think that's, that list is added date, uh, weekly with every show that we have. Now, okay, okay. But with IndyCar's decision, I guess I'll dive into my, my second point. I, am I the only person who's just, like, not that annoyed by the red flag call? Uh, I wasn't annoyed by it. Um, Obviously, look, the the I, first I, one... Oh, go ahead, Caleb. Yeah, the, the first one had to be done. I, I, everyone understands that. The second yeah, one, absolutely. though... To clarify, the second one, I'm not that annoyed by the call. Like, yes, they no, could have I had mean, a green-white checker. Think about you being but... in, the fa- in the stands and having to suffer through, what was it, you know, almost an hour and a half mm-hmm. break and no races last year, you know. So you're going on two years. Uh, I had to sit outside, and it was hot at Detroit. And I, I think that's the least you can do for fans that turned out. And, and not to mention... You know, I feel like, too, this goes back to television. If they were up against it, they wouldn't have red flagged it. Well, here's the thing. They were up against it because they were supposed to go to U.S. Uh, Olympic diving trials. Right. And NBC stayed on. The CNBC. Correct. Like they had already decided, okay, we're going to play out the course of this race, IndyCar, before we go to uh, Olympic trials. So IndyCar said, okay, we can take as much time as we want to here. But if you had said, hey, you have eight minutes left and we have a Stanley Cup playoff game starting in eight minutes, then there's no way they're throwing that red flag. I, I think you make a valid point about the fans and the Saints who were there. I mean, look, they sat through that long delay uh, with the Rosenquist crash. And to me, I'm okay with the second red flag. I, I feel like that's controversial, um, but that's... That's honestly how I feel. Like, it didn't bother me that much in the moment. Still doesn't bother me that much now. Uh, I, I posted a poll the other day to kind of go over what people thought. And largely, I don't think people agreed with us on this issue really at all. In fact, 66% said no, 34% said yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, here's one thing that I would like IndyCar to do. And I know every circumstance is different. Television is different. The situation with the crowd or whatever is different. Um, the, the condition of the, the, the track can be different. I really think they need to set some guidelines. And, and maybe not fast and hard guidelines, like, um, but, but you have to. I know it says in the rule book it's up to the series discretion, but, you know, I'm perfectly fine with not going to a green-white checker. But if it's under five to go and there's a yellow, it's red flagged. Um, I'm fine with that. So maybe you just need to put it out there and say this is going to be expected. Five and under, we're red flagging it because there is inconsistencies for sure. And I know it gets frustrating, and and it's going to be frustrating for drivers. Just ask Will Power. But um, you don't have to, you know, part, you, you know, put yourself in a corner. Uh, with with you know hard uh, non negotiable rules, but at the same time you can put some guidelines. Say okay, this is what to expect, and I think then that way you're not blindsiding these drivers and teams when you do throw the red or when you don't throw the red because you're open to criticism whatever you do in a circumstance in which nobody really truly knows what the rule is. Well, but if you do that, then they're gonna have a lucky dog and stages and. <laughs> And and they're going to have restarts where teams can change their tires and work on the cars during the red flag period. I, I mean, 
you you do one it's thing and now it's in, just huh? the wild west you know you not to get political but you sound like somebody that uh if you pass one gun control law they're going to take everybody's guns is uh is basically what you what you're saying is okay if you give a little bit at the end of a race all of a sudden we're going to have lucky dogs we're going to have green white checkers we're going to have overtime all this stuff and then no no i i think it's just um, you build a rule in, and I think it's fair to the fans, too. We, we've talked for a long time about, you know, uh, how many eyes you need on product and how many fans need to come away satisfied. And, you know, finishing under yellow is not a satisfactory ending. And I know that's the way it's been forever in auto racing, but things change. And I'm perfectly fine if IndyCar started in 2022 said, okay, every race five and under, if there's a caution, we go red and restart. And maybe it's just one caution. Maybe, okay, we're not going to throw multiple cautions and multiple red flags within those five races, five laps. Maybe it's just one. But um, I'm perfectly fine with that. And it gives the teams and drivers some expectations when you get in those situations. And, and that's at least a compromise. And let's be honest, we would hear so much more about this as a quote-unquote problem if the Indy 500 finished under yellow this year. That's just how it goes. And, and let's be honest, you know, and, and I always roll my eyes when this happens, but uh, let's say uh, Will Power was in second place and they had thrown the red and he ends up winning the race. You know, of course, everybody's going to point to, oh, of course, it's Roger Penske's series. Of course, they're going to throw the red. <laughs> True. Um, you know, I mean, it, it's either way, you're going to have some people complaining about it. So it's kind of a no-win situation for IndyCar. There's worse things that I think need addressed. Uh, but at the same time, some continuity would be nice. I guess my final thought would be, and I said this earlier, this wasn't against the rule book, so I guess we shouldn't have been so surprised when it happened. And and I think it's that simple. And in the end, I think it was a good story. Uh, not with just with the drama with Will Power, but also Marcus Erickson getting his first win, which, as we know, Caleb, is the Ganassi kiss of death. It's <laughs> Rosenquist. Uh, yeah. Uh, what's your uh, second takeaway? Oh, what is my second takeaway? Let's take a look here with my uh, massive amounts of notes that I took. <laughs> but let's let's talk to Felix Rosenquist crash a little more for sure. And um, I, of course, I was was camping all weekend in the uh, the abrasive heat uh, that is was in northern Indiana last weekend, um, but knew that there was a serious crash, and then asked uh, you that there was a red flag, and then you kind of gave me details, and, and it still didn't prepare me for, for when I saw it when I was watching the replay on DDR. And just a scary moment, and, and, and quite frankly, happy it happened where it did. I think there's more dangerous parts of the track than where he ended up, but just the force that, that, uh, that he hit the wall, pushing over though that massive concrete barrier that's, you know, rebarred in to, uh, to the left and right sides into concrete um, was pretty crazy and, and pretty scary. And, you know, quite frankly, I was surprised that NBC kept the, the drone footage or the, the helicopter, whatever it was, on the car during the extrication because the front of that car was pretty mangled. And, I mean, I wasn't exactly sure if he had any injuries to his lower extremities. So, it was a frightening crash. Glad it turned out the way it did with no serious injuries, but a bizarre incident. And, and going back to something we brought up earlier, Caleb, I, I think there's a lot of questions within IndyCar on what exactly happened there. 
Yeah, and we we touched on that earlier. We don't know what truly happened. Chevy's been cleared. Uh, it was not a stuck throttle issue, so that's been cleared. So we don't know. I think initially, I mean, I was stunned watching when it happened live because it looked really bad. You, you don't often see a driver come out of a turn, and when you saw the replay to see all the little blue dots, you know, for his, his rev limiter, you know, yeah. to know when to upshift, downshift on the steering wheel, to see the whole entire line just blue, which is the lowest, you know, setting on the RPMs before you keep shifting up. I'd never seen that before. And he, he just, he took off just, just the wildest thing. And like you said, glad that he's, okay i mean not cleared to drive for road america this weekend but he's okay in the sense that we expect him to be back in a car later this season i have no idea what kind of injuries he suffered obviously he suffered some sort of uh, injury to not be able to drive on sunday but i mean this was thankfully a deal where it looked worse than what the result was as as far as we know Right, and and not hearing, you know, sometimes it's not good news when you don't hear much. But, um, you know, it sounds like Felix has avoided any serious injuries and and probably, even if he didn't break anything, is probably in a a hell of a lot of pain this week uh, and soreness. So uh, I'm not surprised to not see him uh, this week in a road America, but hopefully going forward we see him back at mid Ohio, because that could have uh, turned out uh, a heck of a lot worse. And um, I can't imagine Felix Rosenquist uh, in that cockpit when he's turning and just the car takes off and, and at a high, high velocity and high RPMs, this had to be terrifying. And, and luckily, you know, we always talk about the, the tub and, and the chassis holding up in big oval crashes, but uh, I, I don't think that there's a, a bigger test to the front of the car than what we saw, despite the, the tires there. I mean, he, he shot through those tires into the concrete pretty quickly and climbed up on top of the tires. So uh, just another testament to the safety uh, of the monocoque design and the Delara DW12. Well, and to not have any tire streaks or anything on the track, I mean, I'm sure... He was mashing down the brake. It's just a, a bizarre thing that we're probably not going to get the full story on what really happened. Yeah, I think it's something that uh, is going to remain a mystery or, or potentially McLaren wants to keep it a mystery. Uh, really not sure, but but I would think with the, uh, with, uh, the danger of a situation like that, you think that IndyCar would want to get to the bottom of it. Oh, for sure, and Again, like we speculated earlier, could his crash be related to Pato's late race charge? We don't know. We have no idea. But it's just something to think about with that. And, you know, before I move on to my final point, big news, I guess, coming up for this weekend with Kevin Magnuson filling in for Felix Rosenquist. We assumed it'd be uh, Oliver Askew who filled for him on Sunday, which I must say, Askew had never driven at Detroit in an Indy car. He only had qualifying to go off of. Then in the race, uh, he went out due to an engine issue and finished last, but was actually competitive and had better lap times than guys including Rossi. 
Yeah, he was amazing. I mean, a guy that, uh, like you said, had never been around Detroit and um, was able to, you know, didn't qualify last. I think he was 23rd, which is a testament when, he, when his first laps are going out for qualifying. And then was as high as, I think, 17th before uh, the mm-hmm. car had a mechanical. So, uh, great job by Oliver Askew. And what do you know, it's earned him another opportunity, not with McLaren this weekend, but instead Ed Carpenter Racing to fill in for Renus VK. So, uh, a great job by Oliver Askew in a pinch and potentially, you know, got the attention of a, at least one team owner in the paddock, and that was Ed Carpenter. Let alone doing it with... Uh... Juan Montoya's fire suit <laughs> and didn't yeah, he have and, and, Alex Blow's extra you know, shoes? I'm thinking that was a little bit bigger <laughs> on him than it was uh, normally. Well, but so, Askew's tall, so it was probably short. That's true. That is true. So, you know, short cuffs and everything. But I think you're on the midsection. I feel like JPM's a little bit bigger than Oliver Askew. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Comes, comes with age, you know. <laughs> we, so, we can relate. So, was that your third? Uh, no, my, my third, I think, would be for all the harping on NBC over the weekend, we got excellent racing when it was on NBC, and we got <laughs> excellent TV ratings when it was on NBC. So I think, and we'll have more on, on NBC later on, but I, I think with what we got now Saturday, I must say, missing the opening lap due to lacrosse going to overtime, not a good look. And they had a limited window because it was what a two o'clock TV window and a two Oh five start. Not good. However, that notwithstanding excellent race on Saturday. You had the red flag. Think about how many people probably left the broadcast due to the delay in the red flag due to the uh, right. Rosenquist crash. Then you had a, a, an, an exciting finish. You went over on time by like I think at least an hour because the TV window was till four o'clock Eastern. And I they went at least till five if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, a little after. So you have a situation where your TV partner writes a wrong, stays later, and and helps you know whether this was IndyCar or NBC, but facilitate at least a, a green flag finish to race one. Then on Sunday. <laughs> Sunday, I'm going to give NBC a pass, and, and here's why. The French Open five-set match got 1.58 million viewers. Uh, I think it was the highest final in several years. I think 2016, maybe. I'm not, not 100% on that. But um, normal match time for that is about three hours or so. They had plenty of buffer with this because match started at 9 a.m. Eastern. Green flag for IndyCar was 12.50 p.m. Eastern. So, plenty of buffer time. It goes to five sets. It's a classic. Djokovic wins. Um, Fans are mad, and I understand, but you're not... Unfortunately, IndyCar is not in a position to be dropped behind the French Open. That's just the reality. I I mean, whether you like that or not, that is simply the reality. And then, when the race finally got back on NBC, now there was a little bit of confusion in the handoff between the the French Open coverage and, and IndyCar, but I will say the race was boring when it was on CNBC, but once it switched to NBC, it's like things suddenly got more interesting. (laughs) You know, Caleb, you mentioned you understand why people are upset. I don't. And, you know, it's for the reason you mentioned. Uh, It's a grand slam tennis 
tournament, uh, that eclipses an IndyCar race at Detroit. And if you don't understand that, then you're not familiar with the hierarchy of sport. Um, is look, uh, the French Open eclipses the IndyCar race because of importance, because of eyes on product. And while it sucked, um, it wasn't unexpected. I mean, that that's going to usurp uh, IndyCar, just like IndyCar usurped U.S. Olympic trials on Saturday. And I'm sure whoever is watching swim and dive Olympic trials, I don't know how many there are, uh, were pretty upset with IndyCar bleeding over an entire hour. So it, it kind of always reminds me, that, you know, there's there's always a bigger fish. I think it's it's similar in in, in television and in sports broadcasting and in, in live sports is there's always something more important to you uh, unless you're NFL and you're the NFL's king. But uh, there's something more important than you, and sometimes it's going to uh, overshadow you or take your spot uh, in the time slot. So it was unfortunate, particularly those of us that had set the DVR to record it and all that. But, you know, I'm not upset at NBC because it was the right call. they got to look out for their ratings. they got to look out for their partners. And uh, a, a Grand Slam final is much more important than any IndyCar race outside of the Indianapolis 500, and that's just facts. Yeah, and look, this was a much longer final than what is normal. I think the average time around three hours or so the last several years, and a lot of people saying, well, these finals always go this long. Like, you don't often have a five-set match in a final. You usually get three or four. It's not often a five-setter, and let alone one where the guy who wins drops the first two sets. That's pretty pretty rare in, in tennis. So, again... I understand the frustration by fans of IndyCar, but this is just the reality. The French Open outdrew IndyCar. NBC made the right decision to not bump IndyCar. Now, I don't know what was on NBCSN at the time. Um, I don't know if they had hockey on or what. I don't know if that was a, a viable option over CNBC. Are, are you aware of anything on that? I'm not sure, and that makes me wonder why they didn't bump the Olympic trials to MSNBC on Saturday instead of CNBC, but... You know, there are contracts in place and, you know, no matter how, you know, you know, marginal they may, it may look to us. Oh, this was on MSNBC. There are contracts and those contracts in many uh, instances cannot be broken. So it, look, people are making these decisions way above you and I or anybody else's uh, pay grade uh, in terms of the criticisms. But I think, you know, NBC made the best of a bad situation and unfortunately, you were going to have some unhappy fans, whether they were swim fans or whether they were IndyCar fans over the weekend. And to correct myself, the Sunday French Open final, 1.9 million viewers on NBC, up 19% from last year's delayed October final, 6% from 2019. So, again, most watched final since... That's a lot since, of people since, yeah, most and watched more final, people that have watched any IndyCar race in quite some time <laughs> outside of the 500. Correct. Most watch final since 2016. So I was correct there. And that was a, a, a uh, 2 million viewers for that. So again, I can't blame NBC for what happened uh, with that. It, it is what it is. But there are some good comparisons. We'll dive more into the numbers a l- little bit. But I just, I don't blame NBC for doing what they did. I understand people were frustrated by the switch around. Um, but look, it worked out in the end, did it not? Yeah, in the end, it did. Absolutely. The most exciting parts of the, of race two were on NBC. All right. What's your third takeaway? 
Um, you mentioned uh, Oliver Askew and making the best of the opportunity. How about Santino Ferrucci making the best of an opportunity? Absolutely. A couple top tens over the weekend, and all of a sudden, a guy that um, heading into the season, you felt like his future was in stock cars. Uh, you know, three top tens in three races, including a sixth at the 500, sixth and tenth at Detroit. It's breathed new life into uh, Ferrucci's IndyCar career. And, you know, I, I, I don't think he's done yet in getting opportunities this year and potentially could be laying the groundwork of, uh, to return as a full-time driver in 2022. Well, you know, let's kind of dive in a little bit to the numbers because when you look at entrance standings, that car uh, actually has a shot at doing something, you know, as far as taking the, uh, what is it, the leader, leader circle, circle money? money yeah. yeah. So the, the 45 car is not uh, a full-time entry, obviously, part-time. And I say all that, and I'm not even seeing it listed on the list because it's it's ahead of several other cars when it comes to the point yeah, standings. Yeah, I want to say at least it, it, if, if the season ended right now, I, I I understand that it would be in the leader circle. Correct. So Ferrucci is 19th in the standings. He's ahead of Elio, who just did the one race. He'll have several other races later in the season. We expect Ferrucci to do more races, not competing this weekend. It'll be a rotating Honda entry, but I would expect Ferrucci to do Gateway, maybe a couple others. Uh, Ferrucci's ahead of Hinchcliffe. He's ahead of... Uh, Rosenquist, uh, and then combined with Askew with that, also ahead of Dalton Kellett, very much in range of the top 22. Now, he'll be competing with Elio, and he'll be competing with you know the other drivers, and then, oh, I forgot to throw in Chilton as well. Um, but there's an opportunity, if they can find more races for that 45 car, to steal a leader circle entry away from the guys at the bottom, which uh, the guys at the bottom... 21st, Hinchcliffe in the 29, the number seven uh, car, that's between Askew and uh, Rosenquist in 22nd, the number four, uh, Dalton Kellett, A.J. Foyt car in 23rd, and then the number 59, Carlin car in 24th with Max Chilton. Right. I mean, uh, amazing what Ferrucci has done and amazing what a you know, sixth place at a, ra- a double points race, the 500, can do as well. And it seems like that uh, high V relationship between RLL and and Santino Ferrucci continues to grow almost weekly with what we're hearing in terms of uh, between that team and that company. So uh, there's been a lot of activation I've seen on Twitter of Santino Ferrucci in the fire suit, cardboard cutouts in uh, grocery stores and everything, you know, giant posters of of the car. So uh, all of a sudden in a matter of, you know, what, a month, month and a half, uh, we're seeing Santino Ferrucci's uh, face plastered all over in marketing for High V. So, uh, really, really uh, great turnabout for Santino Ferrucci, which you know both you and I, Caleb, have said is a guy that we like mm-hmm. to see in the series because he can be a polarizing figure uh, inside the car and really add some drama on track. Yeah, love him or hate him, at least people have an opinion on him. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, it's similar to Will Power. I mean, after all, I'm, I'm not the biggest fan, but. Uh, I think willpower makes this series a little bit more exciting than he would if he wasn't in it. So, and I feel the same way about Santucci. Well, and with Ferrucci, we didn't even mention this after the crash and qualifying, which he just was too aggressive. He even admitted after the fact, and he was gutted after that. I mean, 
the guy looked like he he just thought he just ruined his IndyCar career after that crash on Sunday qualifying. And then the team was able to pull together, get the car ready to rebound with the top 10. That was a oval setup car, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, uh, that he raced yeah. in race two. It was like Takuma Sato's like oval setup car. And to be able to put that in the top uh, top 10 after that crash and then have a solid run in race one as well uh, with a sixth. I yeah, mean, finished sixth. Yeah. It, he's done more in half the races than we've seen from several guys who we expect <laughs> a lot more from. I'll just, I'll put it, put it at that. Well, I'm looking at it and he has more top tens than the guys below him uh, in the points that you've already mentioned, Caleb, but has more top tens than Ed Jones has more top tens than Connor Daly, Ryan Hunter Ray, Sebastian Bourdais, uh, Jack Harvey. Uh, let me look. Uh, that may be the last one. So yeah, that's, th- that's pretty impressive to me. Uh, even uh, in just three races. I mean, same number of top tens as Will Power, as Scott McLaughlin, uh, as Sato. I mean, look, he's he's running limit, limited schedule, and, and Hy-Vee will be the primary sponsor for Graham Rahal this weekend at Road America. So Hy-Vee will still be involved pretty actively. I think they're also sponsoring gateway if i'm not mistaken so that relationship will grow and ferrucci from what indycar deep throat told us the other week they'll fill as many races as they can and a lot of this comes down to the honda engine leases the uh extra lease going to um cody Ware and a the the 52 car finally making the debut at road america which if there was a track for Ware to make a debut I would say it's this one because of the amount of practice time that he will get. The fact that he's done a Sebring test, an IMS test, and a, a Texas test. So he's gotten some time in the car, but also having multiple practice sessions uh, as opposed to last weekend where we just had the one. I mean, this is kind of the track, I think, where you at least get more track time to be able to figure something out for Sunday. Yeah, and a lot of room to make mistakes too. I mean, you're not you're yeah. not in uh, a road course with minimal runoff and and all that. So there's a lot of uh, a lot of space to make mistakes at Road America, and I think that that bodes well for some of the drivers that really don't have a lot of time at Road America or any IndyCar tracks. As Cody Ware is a testament to that. All right, so Road America. Uh, wow, Road Road America is coming up, but we have Detroit as we're wrapping things up. Did 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 I miss? Uh, d- did we get through all three of our points? I I, I lost track. <laughs> yeah, I, you know I think so because my Sebastian uh, uh, Santino Ferrucci was my mm-hmm. third. But here's something I, w- I want to bring up because uh, you know Marshall Pruitt does a great job with his cool down lap uh, columns after each race weekend. And full of great information, but something that jumped out to me that kind of made me um, a little skeptical here, a little concerned. He talks about the Ofer teams in terms of the teams that have won or lost race or not won races. And I understand that Andretti All Sports won a race. I get it. But in terms of winners and losers, I, I don't think Andretti Autosport is a winner so far this year. Yeah, they have a win, but their best driver is ninth in the standings. I mean, it's been, I mean, take that win away and Andretti Autosport is right below Team Penske as the story of the year in terms of futility and say what you want about Team Penske. 
but they also have a driver that's fourth and sixth in the championship, well above Colton Herta in ninth, not to mention the rest of the team there in the teens or worse. So, yeah, it, it's great for Colton Herta to have a win and great for that team, but that team has been far from exceptional and downright pitiful, and I think even worse than Team Penske despite having a win. I would agree with that, and look, Hinchcliffe has just been non-existent so far this season. Hunter Ray, outside of Indy, hasn't really done much of anything. In Indy, he didn't even get the result. Uh, Herta has been boomer bust, it seems. Um, and then, who am I forgetting? Oh, Rossi. Rossi, um, yeah. He's had a couple of good qualifying runs, but that's about it. I mean, there's just it's just not there. No, and, you know... It's, it's, uh, I just think, you know, we, we seem to we bring it up every week. There's just something missing. I, I don't know if that team needs just a complete tear down rebuild type thing. Uh, I don't know. I, I just think there's a lot of stale ideas at Andretti Autosport and quite frankly, some drivers that are past their prime and other drivers that are extremely frustrated. Um, and, and I just think, you know, an entire rethink is coming. I, I think, um, recent success in May and later in seasons have kind of um, prevented Andretti Autosport from making wholesale changes that it needs to make because they seem to have momentum late in the year, and then you're thinking, okay, this is going to carry into next season, and it seemingly doesn't. So um, I think for the long-term future of Andretti Autosport, maybe the best thing for them is to continue to struggle and really, really make some wholesale changes in the off season heading into 2022, because I feel like team Penske has been bitten, uh, you know, just last weekend, you can say both will power and Joseph Newgarden, uh, bad luck. I don't feel like Andretti Autosport has left a win or two out there because of bad luck. I just think it's, it's underperforming race cars. Yeah. And, and what's weird is the qualifying pace seems to be there. Most of the time it's the race pace that isn't. And I don't know if that's pit yeah. stops or strategy or, you know, I, it I, I don't know. It seems like they don't have fast cars. Yeah. You know, Caleb, I mean, the moves that we see that we saw Palto Award make last last Sunday, I mean, you know, those are cars that are dialed in and drivers that are dialed in. I, I couldn't tell you, um, you know, the last Andretti Autosport driver that I felt was dialed in for an entire weekend. I mean, I guess Herta at St. Pete, but, I mean, other than that, it's been a lot of questions and a lot of underperforming uh, finishes for sure. Uh, some other thoughts post Detroit, obviously Renus VK out due to a clavicle injury while on a bike ride with his trainer uh, earlier this week, he had surgery. He is out. Um, he tells Jennifer, the AP, he expects to be back for mid Ohio, which seems a little bit ambitious. I've seen other reports out there. IndyCar deep throat saying uh, six weeks. So we'll see. Uh, which one comes of that, but uh, bummed for him because, I mean, legitimate championship contender, right? Yeah, he was in the thick of it, uh, truly. So, uh, sits fifth, if he, if he can only miss one race, I feel like he can still finish, um, you know, if he has a great second half of the season, maybe finish in the top five in points, but it's absolutely brutal to miss one race. going to be even more brutal to miss multiple, I think realistically, man, broken cla- or a fractured clavicle is no joke, especially in the line of work that race car drivers are in. I feel like um, I'd put my money on Nashville is when he's back. 
All right. So you you heard it from Justin here. That's that's yeah, his Dr. prediction. Yeah, Doctor Kenny is saying that. <laughs> also, not a doctor. Um, let's see. No, no. So Detroit TV ratings. I I kind of touched on. You know, it was successful. Well, what were the numbers? So race number one. 954,000 viewers. That was up from 19's uh, 931,000, up 3%. And then, oh, wait, correction, 845,000 viewers for race one, up 10% on 2019, which is 768,000. And again, that number probably would have been higher if not for the long red flag period. Race number two uh, got 1.383 million. Uh, again, this includes streaming numbers as well. Uh, for the NBC portion of race two, Uh, That was up 26% from the full race in 2019. Again, the French Open bump, very helpful, but still very promising to have numbers because Detroit 2 becomes the most watched IndyCar event since 2016 Detroit Race 2 at 1.397 million back then, That according to Nathan Brown of the Indy Star. So again, good lead-in. You get people to stick around. You give them a good race. Look what happens. Right, and um, you know, despite all the the confusion on on where they were at, it was a it was a strong weekend, uh, ratings wise. I feel it kind of dispelled the notion once again of oh my gosh, you need that race right after Indy, and oh my gosh, it needs to be an oval. And I think that's antiquated thinking that largely has gone away, uh, luckily. But uh, it was another good weekend, and I think another fruitful weekend for the discussions between. NBC and IndyCar, which Caleb, I'm sure we will get to at some point. Uh, yeah. And real quick, Marshall Pruitt, six of the eight IndyCar winners this year are Indy Lights champions or race winners. Only Alex Blow and Marcus Erickson had the misfortune of missing out on the road to Indy. So again, the road to Indy works. Shocker. It's been working for quite some time. We know this. <laughs> uh, yeah. You mentioned NBC. So while we have a few minutes left um, here on 1380, the fan of 100.9 FM, Let's kind of dive into that. So IndyCar likely to remain with NBC Sports. Uh, Adam Stern, John Oran had the article on Sports Business Journal earlier uh, this week. This is not a surprise. Uh, the deal, the current deal worth slightly less than $20 million per year ends after this season. Uh, Nathan Brown of the Indy Star talked with Roger Penske. Roger saying our goal is to have more network races. We're furthest along with NBC compared to anyone else. There have been other discussions and we'll continue to have them so we end up at a point where we can say we've got a good deal. Um, look, it's NBC or bus for IndyCar. I think we know that. I think that's clear. And then even uh, Stern and Orand also uh, did a, a video for SBJ. And to recap, there might be an increase in network TV races next year with NBC. USA doesn't seem to want many IndyCar races. We could have some races on Peacock. Uh, probably expect another three-year deal according to CERN, because that would send IndyCar to market again the same time as NASCAR when their uh, current deal expires. Okay. Um, I- I'm just kind of wondering where those races are going to be that aren't on NBC next year. U- USA is really your only other option. So uh, Or Peacock. <laughs> or, well, yeah, or Peacock. I'm just saying, you know, in terms of the, the, the dangerous word streaming, could we have some streaming only uh, races next year. Uh, who knows? But look, NBC is in the position of advantage here because IndyCar doesn't have another willing partner. So NBC is going to get what it wants or what it wants to offer, uh, or IndyCar is going to be left without a home. So 
Uh, Roger Penske's hand's going to be forced here, but uh, with the ratings being uh, up the way they are this year, I think it gives uh, IndyCar a little bit of a boost, and and hopefully NBC kind of sees the value. And I think you know NBC is going to put uh, the effort into whatever is going to make them money and what they see uh, has value. And uh, IndyCar is added to its value this year, so I think that's going to be reflected in the new TV deal. Um, but it's also going to be reflected that um, NBC was really the only one at the table with Roger Penske. Yeah, and I, I think we'll see 10 to 11 network races, maybe four, five, or six on USA, and then hopefully no more than one or two on Peacock. I think that seems reasonable. I feel uh, Peacock, uh, I'm, I'm fine with it. I mean, whatever. Uh, yeah. at, at, least the, at, the very, at, at least people can say they can watch live races on Peacock because that may be the only place a couple of the races are. As long as it's not more than one or two, I think that's an okay deal. All right, real quick before uh, we get to uh, some other items. Uh, This weekend, Road America. So let's do a quick preview, quick picks on that. Seven former F1 drivers slated to start the Rev Group GP at Road America. Bourdais, Chilton, Erickson, Grosjean, Magnussen, Rossi, and Sato. That from Trackside Online. Who do you like this weekend? A Penske driver. Same. <laughs> I'm go- <laughs> I mean, come on, they got to win at some point, and I'm going to go Joseph Newgarden. I would agree completely. <laughs> All right, good pick. That yeah. was, so very, moving on. Very, but. very boring. But, uh, yeah, as we uh, make our race picks, I think we're both in agreement. Taking a look at the schedule uh, for race day Sunday at Road America. This will be on NBCSN and also uh, the IndyCar Radio Network as well. Coverage starting at noon. Um, TV window goes till approximately 3 o'clock, looks like. Uh, green flag, 1240 Eastern. That's 1140 Central Time. Like the earlier starts, personally. I think that's cool. I'll, I'll probably watch on DVR, just since it's Father's Day. But uh, I think that'll be... It'll be a good race. It's a weird race because it's less laps than you think but with a four-mile lap. It goes a lot, uh, a lot quicker than you'd expect. Uh, it does very much so, and um, I, you know, I, I probably won't get it to it till later in the day, as well, if not the evening. But uh, looking forward to it, it it's it's always I, I feel like a very, very re- uh, refreshing race in the sense that you know just the the smoothness of Road America and the excitement that happens there and. The uh, the excitement of the fans and and just the atmosphere and just you know it's very mid Ohio esque uh, there which will go in a couple weeks but uh, I like it and and we're kind of reaching those final two races before the summer break so to speak F one has a summer break and uh, IndyCar is going to have one this year due to the Olympics so I feel this race is important and uh, a couple weeks on uh, July 4th at Mid-Ohio is important to uh, really lay the groundwork for those final six races of the season and the run to the title. If you like what you've heard so far, you can find more about us at NewTrackRecordPodcast.com. While you're there, do us a favor, sign up to our email list so you never miss an episode. You can also find us on your favorite podcasting platforms. Follow us for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. 1380thefan.com or episodes posted every weekend at wowo.com on social media follow us on twitter our handle is indycar podcast on facebook just search for new track record and you can also send us an email our email address is new track record podcast 
at gmail.com. And with that, it is time for the mailbag as we get to your tweets, your Facebook messages, emails, all of that. And actually start out this week, we have uh, an email to lead us off. Um, so thanks for sending We're getting more emails, I've noticed, lately than before. And that really? is perfectly fine. I very much enjoy yeah, that. Absolutely. Uh, so this one from Jeff. So thanks to Jeff. Not sent an email to us before. Uh, guys, Pato Award is obviously fun to watch. I don't recall him ever spending much time with an experienced IndyCar driver. Maybe this is an advantage. He hasn't been told what he can't do, so he just goes out and does it. Interesting point. I mean, the most experienced it, teammate he's had is like Max Chilton. Yeah, right? And how much is Max learning from Pato in that situation? Right? So, um, no, I, I feel like it's interesting angle of interesting approach. I, I think maybe you could say that he's always been the guy, really, wherever he has been, whether he has been the lead driver or the guy deemed the future, so to speak. So, I think a lot of teams have really approached Pato Award as being the future of their team, all the way going back to, uh, you know, Carlin, even Harding Racing, that one race he did. Um, so I think that potentially could be an advantage, not that he doesn't have a veteran presence around him, but really that he's been the focal point of a team. And I feel like uh, he's definitely proving his worth for sure, with a couple wins this year. And, of course, you know, his, his great season a year ago finished in fourth. Yeah, and he's piggybacking off of that with a true championship-caliber season so far. Again, long way to go, though. We're basically at the halfway point. So, uh, let's see. Other as we get to tweets, uh, R. Cole, come for the IndyCar talk, stay for the random driver. My guess was another former F1 driver, Norberto Fontana. Never heard of him. <laughs> But we very much You've enjoy never heard of our guy for this year or this week. So stay tuned. <laughs> okay. Uh, DC Soda. The Penske stuff seems a little bit overblown to me. As a team, at least they've had a car on the podium every race with the GP where New Garden was fourth. I'm surprised that no one driver seems to be the top guy yet, though. And again, that comment coming before Detroit. Um, Coach, but underscore- I think he, he's right. You know, when, yeah. we, when we were talking earlier about Team Penske and Andretti Autosport. It, I, I, we're not in a situation where we're going, where is the pace? Where is the competitiveness of Team Penske? They've been there. It's just that it hasn't worked out by and large. Whereas uh, Andretti Autosport, you can really say, I mean, you know, where is the consistency? Where is the pace? Because they don't have it outside of Colton Herta. And even then, he's had some stinkers. Correct. Yeah, I'm, I'm not worried about Penske. The pace is there. They'll win a race. Fully expected to be this weekend, uh, as you heard earlier. Uh Let's see. Coach underscore Eckert. To me, Rossi's troubles are due to Andretti. Terrible race strategy, people. Andretti always defaults to fuel strategy early and puts themselves out of the race. They constantly attempt the undercut early and then get lapped. This this same issue that hurt Marco over the years. Yeah. Marco was hurt by bad strategy quite a bit and and some bad luck. I mean, he should have won like, what, four or five races back in 2013 when he had his, his best point season and had a dominant car at several tracks and you know, part of it, it was not saving enough fuel, but other part of it was, you know, his team didn't put him in position to win. So, I mean, with Rossi, I feel like it is part of it strategy, part of it, bad luck, 
But then when you combine those two consistently for two years now, two years as of this weekend, you start to probably question your ability a little bit. And two, you know, why do you try alternate strategies? Why do you go off sequence? It's largely because you cannot compete with the straight up approach. So is it, it's kind of a chicken or the egg thing. Is Andretti Autosport putting themselves in a position uh, because of bad strategy? Or are they having to go off strategy because um, they don't have the pace, the quickness, um, you know, the, you know, really pushing and, you know, the tires and the setup to compete with the upper echelon drivers. So I'm not necessarily going to say it's the team screwing up the drivers is, is the team in a position that they have to try something different because they don't have what it takes to compete with the drivers at the top of the standings. Matty McGinley, uh, imagine complaining about having the opportunity to go to the greatest racetrack in the world as many times as possible in one year for racing. Couldn't be me. Uh, look, I don't <laughs> think we need to yeah, keep going to, to IMS constantly. Uh, personally, I, I'd i be fine with just the Indy 500 as far as an IndyCar event. Yeah, absolutely. You lose the cachet of, 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 of anything if it's re- repeated ad nauseum. Um, you know, uh, I, I love I love beer, Caleb. But if I had to drink beer every day, I'm not an alcoholic, so I can't do that. Uh, <laughs> I would wake up one day and be like, you know what? I I just don't want to drink a beer today. And you know, the more races at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, the less desire I have to go uh, to every race. So because it I'm doesn't you, feel Caleb. special. Yeah, it, you lose that a little bit. It, it's kind of similar. <laughs> I don't know if it's similar or not, but, uh, you know, um, we have uh, Skyline Chili here now in Fort Wayne's last couple of years, right? Um, and, and Skyline's been synonymous with Cincinnati Reds games for me since I've been a kid. And uh, at first I was like, sweet, Skyline's coming to Fort Wayne and having whenever I want. But then I realized there was something special about Cincinnati Reds games and Skyline Chili Dogs. It was just part of the experience. And you know what? I don't eat Skyline Chili here but I still eat it in Cincinnati. It's just one of those things that uh, is synonymous to me with the experience. And, and just because I can do it more often doesn't mean I really want to. And, and that kind of goes along with the same thing with the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Just because you can have more races there and go to more races there doesn't mean you want to. And, and that's just me and Caleb. I mean, if, if, if other people are out there and they love going, you know, more power to you. But just for you and I, Caleb, I think we're, we're on the same page as, you know, sometimes less is more. And for the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, that's definitely the case for us. Yeah, you don't need to oversaturate a single series, you know, at that track because the Indy 500 can stand alone as far as an IndyCar event. Having one other event on the road course, that's fine. But what they're doing this year with having two, personally not a fan of it. Um, it'll be beneficial because it ties in with NASCAR. That still doesn't mean I'm like fully on board now. Will I go to the race in August? Possibly. Uh, it's debatable, but I, I guess you don't want to oversaturate your your market, if you will. Um, great article by Bruce Martin in Speed Sport, talking about a lot of good stuff uh, with Roger yeah, Penske. Chock full of goodies. I, I mean, so so much good stuff. And Penske was quoted saying, "There, not one." but two really good possibilities for a new engine manufacturer to join the series. So if you've listened to previous episodes, you know that we mentioned uh, IndyCar Deep Throat told us a, a couple weeks ago that Toyota 
is one OEM they're talking to, IndyCar Deep Throat telling me earlier this week, the other potential OEM is Mercedes. Uh, so that answers that. And uh, Poet Shevchenko uh, tweeting us to be the owner of the only major series in the U.S. with fewer than three manufacturers and hearing the news of OEM after OEM signing on to IMSA's new LMDH, that's the, the hypercar class, has got to be frustrating for someone of Penske's stature. And then the other nugget in Poet Shevchenko tweeting about this, great news that Ray Hall and High V are working on saving Iowa Speedway. I love that track, and if it gets on to the schedule again, probably commit to flying out there to show my support. So again, this Bruce Martin article, speedsport.com, the headline, Roger Penske talks TV, Toronto engines, and more. The other nugget in there is that Penske said they may not replace Toronto on the schedule. You know, the options are either mid-Ohio doubleheader, gateway doubleheader, or no additional race. And I would venture to guess no additional race only because we've not heard anything yet. Exactly. I feel like maybe this, this weekend is it. If we don't hear anything coming out of this weekend for an additional race, it's not happening. I don't think mid-Ohio is going to want to add a second race mere days before it hosts on July 4th weekend. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if it's not replaced uh, to be at this point. So, um, yeah, a lot of nuggets in there. Kayla, how about the Iowa Speedway nugget? Kind of gets me and dropped in there. We talked about maybe Roger Penske having to get back into the track buying business uh-huh. outside of IMS, of course. He's, uh, uh, he's pawned that, that off. Maybe there's, yeah, who would have thought there's another uh, IndyCar owner that uh, could get into the business of buying tracks? Well, and with, with Iowa, once the Iowa corn sponsorship went away, that really hurt that event. I think that was clear. But High V has the activation to be, be able to uh, draw a crowd, to, to have awareness. I think that is kind of more in line with what you need. One, it didn't have a title sponsor toward the end, and High V would be a great title sponsor, assuming that's how this would work, because they'd be able to do you know giveaways and plenty of awareness in that region. And look, I think a lot of fans would go back they just need to not screw around with the race date and, and the start time constantly. Yeah. Yeah. Saturday night, majority of the race under the lights, uh, get a good crowd in there and then, and then watch it build back up. I think, I think it needs to be a multi-year process and you know, is it outright buying the track by, uh, like, uh, Bobby Ray Hall? I don't know. Um, could it just be a mere rental? I'm not sure about that, but, uh, you know, maybe this is how we save uh, save Iowa. Maybe it's not Roger Penske, but it's Bobby Rahal. Someone's got to save the ovals. <laughs> That's right. All right. Rate every, the race. every team owner should be required to own at least one <laughs> oval track. Yeah, yeah. Good luck with that. Uh, <laughs> rate the race uh, for race one. We'll, we'll do race one first, then race two. Race one, I'm going to give a nine. Wow. Uh, I'll go an eight and a half just to be different. I, I thought it was very, it was a very good race. Um, there wasn't a last, you know, the pass late, you know, it was just more of a car didn't start, but very exciting. I'll get an eight and a half. All right. Here's what the listeners had to say. Matty McGinley just said long. Uh, our Cole said can <laughs> confirm according to stitch seven in honor of Felix. Now a red flag after that accident was tough. Losing leader for an unnecessary red to guarantee a green flag finish was stupid. The only thing that could have made the race crazier would be if IMSA decided to go green at 5 p.m. anyways. Uh, <laughs> N.K. Harden, one of the wildest street races I've ever seen. 
So many odd things happen in the same race. Two red flags, wheels flying off, tight pack racing on a street course, cars not restarting, the heat tire deg, uh, mixed with varying strategies made for some intense action. Eight, by the way. Um, also, yeah, the, the first 20 laps was just furious in race one. So a lot of action. Um, I love these specifics on this one. Arcole, 8.12. It was good to be back watching a race in person. There seemed to be some good passing in the middle of the pack. Bonus, I somehow managed to not get sunburnt. That's always nice. Uh, Poet yep. Chinko gave it a 7. It's a very tough one as far as street races go. I don't think you can do better. Very happy for Erickson to get his first win. But throwing a red for a green finish and losing the race leader for no good reason. That is not right. Could have been a 10. Uh, Scuba Steve, 85. For the race action, an 8. Lots of good close racing. For race control, a 3. Took them seconds to throw a red to ensure the green flag finish, which ended up costing power, but it took them two full laps to throw when the wall was knocked down. (laughs) And that section (laughs) of track being littered with safety team personnel, I have no idea why you wait that long when you clearly need to repair the track and what could be a serious medical issue. Safety team shouldn't need to worry about a hot track on top of that. Excellent points. Yeah, that's a good point. It was popping into my head because I knew they had stopped. It was, what, 41 to go. I think the the wreck happened with like 45 or 44 to go, and I was like, what are they waiting for? Yeah, yeah. They, there seemed to be a bit more of a delay, or at least the second one was called right away. Uh, DC Soda, boy, the red flag at the end really soured it for me. I'm going with a 7, and thank goodness Rosenquist is okay, but people really need to learn it's okay to end under yellow. Um, I guess I would say... It was, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to jump in, Caleb. Yeah. I'm going to say, you know what? People need to learn that it's okay to throw the red to ensure a green. Yeah. I mean, uh, I really it, this is not a new precedent. They said they've done it for what? Seven, eight years now. Yeah. I, I think the old approach was people need to get used to ending under yellow. But, uh, but I, I really think the people that think that need to come around and say, it's a new day. You're, you're looking for excitement. You're looking for good endings. Uh, I think the people that were fine, you know, the, the people that are telling people it's fine to end the yellow, I, I think you turn it around. I think those people need to realize it's fine to throw the red and finish under green. Well, and this, we never even thought about this until NASCAR did the green-white checker anyway. Yeah, and, then, you know, this isn't going into overtime or anything like that. That's a completely different uh, conversation, but... Um, I just think it's a new generation of people watching races and older generations I know are used to one way, but this is the new way. And I think it's something we need to adjust to. Uh, more thoughts on that. Chucky WX. It's sad. In under yellow, the previous 65 laps apparently didn't matter. guess it makes for good TV. For the few who are still watching, come on, RP, you're better than this. Well, I mean, it hurt his There's own team, so... Watching. And there are a lot of people watching. I guess I'm going to say, you know, let's uh, let's move forward. Um, let's see what else we got here. Now, more on the decision on the red flag. I mentioned earlier, basically two-thirds of you did not like it. A third of you did. Uh, R. Cole said, similar incident happened uh, today in the Indy Lights race. They got it cleaned up under yellow. There's a green and white flag. The same thing would have happened yesterday. Yeah, I think the red in the situation was maybe... It, not overreaction, that's not the right word, but I think they would have had the time to at least have two green flag laps. Possibly. Yeah, if, yeah, now I the agree. issue, the issue is people would have pitted and then it would have filled out all the time getting the reorder, so it actually would not have worked, now that I think about it. But, yeah, whatever. Uh, Jeremy from HBG, 
If they went yellow only, no way that car gets out of there and the race is over. People would complain <laughs> to high heavens, so they went red to green. Uh, to get a green finish, power gets screwed. People complain to high heavens. Damned if they do, damned if they don't. Uh, yep, also true. And N.K. Yeah. Harden, I was going to make the same point, but I still said it was the wrong decision. If it finishes under yellow, that's racing. Happened to power wasn't just a racing thing, though. Best solution, I hate I'm saying this, adopt the NASCAR rule. <laughs> um, hey. Jeremy from HBG, green, white, checker would be the worst. And you have cars circulating, getting in the way of the removal of the car, in the tight corner, and now you have cars possibly running out of fuel or more emergency stops with penalties. 20 laps of yellow before green, white, checker would be dumb. Look, uh, it's okay to agree to disagree on this, I guess. We're going to have plenty of opinions. <laughs> we can go yeah, on and on. Absolutely. All right, I mean, race no two. Right, no wrong. Um, everybody has has an opinion on it. Race two. Let's rate race number two. I'll give it an I'll give it an eight. What would you give it? Uh, race two. Uh, yeah, I think eight is good. I was trying to think of a way to reason to go different, but I think a solid eight. You know, was was good because uh, once again. Drama at the end, whether you liked it or not. Um, and and a, a very popular winner, in my opinion, too, with Pato Award. Yeah, it was it was kind of a, a ho-hum race until toward the end when we knew that Herta and Newgarden, that could be a battle with, what, 15, 20 laps ago, and then we had a couple cautions and got really wild. I think that bumped up my score. Otherwise, it probably would have been like a, a, a 7 or a 6, but we saw some drama at the end. Uh, Poet Shevchenko says, put me down for a nine here. What a finish. Let's get that Mexico Indy GP now. Scuba Steve 85 gave it an eight. Pretty good action and finish, although those last two cautions were ridiculously long for what needed to happen. Uh, also, I like Jimmy Johnson, but he needs to be in Indy Lights until he can handle the car. It's just embarrassing at this point. Strongly disagree. Strongly. We went back and forth with this, and while I disagree with him racing somewhere else, I can see where that's coming from. Look, he made up, I forget what it was between Q1 and, you know, well, I guess I can't say Q1 because there was only really one session both days for him, but the time he made up between the sessions was phenomenal over the weekend. I mean, it's not like he's cycling around and just a complete embarrassment when it comes to... I don't know. Sometimes what he did. embarrassing. Uh, okay, you uh, look at what he did in race number one in qualifying. So I'm pulling it up now. A 119 flat, 12th in his group. All right, so race uh, one in the race, his best lap time. Um, oh, that's total time. They don't have it on here. Okay, never mind. We'll skip, we'll skip that one. All right, race two qualifying. <laughs> Um, Jimmy Johnson. Let's see. Uh, one seventeen nine. So he made up over a second between the two sessions. Is a track he's never been to. He's not tested on Road America. He's actually tested on. He has experience. Um, I guess I'm not buying that he's been an embarrassment because I really don't think he's been an embarrassment. I don't think he's been an embarrassment, but if he wasn't Jimmy Johnson, and I know that's he is Jimmy Johnson, so we can't use this argument. If he was anybody else, they belong in Indy Lights. They're learning 
the tracks. They're learning the cars. That's what the road to Indy is for. Now, he's a seven-time NASCAR champion. He's not going to run Indy lights, right? Yeah. Nor should he be expected to. But exactly. his uh, experience in open-wheel racing, or lack thereof, would make you believe and, and, and think that he should be in the D-Lights with the position he is in. But due to who he is, that's not going to happen. So it's something that, yeah, his skill set probably should, but it's also never going to happen because of who he is. Uh, I, I don't know. To me, this weekend is an actual barometer because we're halfway through the season. He's tested at this track. He'll get multiple practice sessions, not one practice session on a track he's never been to that's a street course like last weekend. So we'll have an opportunity to do something this weekend. Plus, there'll be a lot of other inexperienced drivers competing uh, as well. So that will be fun to watch. Uh, More on Rate the Race, uh, Race 2 at Detroit. NK Harden, 30 laps I get to watch. We're good. Finish was exciting. Solid 7, but the coverage was a mess. Usually playing to watch the races later in the evening, so I got screwed by the move to CNBC. Happened, so I guess. Yeah, kind of a mess, I understand. But, again, I feel like for all the mess of that, it worked out in the end with a TV rate. Uh, Daniel SEM 2004, first 65 laps, maybe a four. The last five laps, a nine. I have to feel bad for Newgarden, but I'm not a Penske fan, so I'm not upset. <laughs> R. Cole says this 100%. <laughs> uh, Joseph underscore Bear, eight, but for Detroit, nine and a half. Um... Our Cole adds, seems like I missed some issues with the broadcast. I think yesterday was better than today. Let's talking about Saturday to Sunday. Exciting ending to a slightly above average race, a seven. According to Stitch, it's a solid nine. What more can you ask for from a street race? Don't want to hear about TV probs, because unlike yesterday, the entire race was broadcasted live. We ate some planning the French Open, LOL. <laughs> uh, Chucky <laughs> WX given an eight. RP should be livid with NBC after this weekend. Missed both starts. Half the race is side-by-side commercials. Vicky Lynn 26 says, at least you get side by side. Most of the time we don't north of the border. Yeah, I can't speak for Canadian TV, but sure it's uh not not ideal compared to what we get with NBC. Uh some more on TV stuff. Jamin T14, NBC broadcast team is great. Peacock overall is great, but the way IndyCar is handled on Peacock versus NBC Gold is garbage. And then we'll we'll get more on um, what people think about, and I like this poll you posted. The options are, you know, what's worse, CNBC versus NBC Sports Gold or Peacock? 8% said Peacock. I thought Peacock would get more votes, personally. Uh, 28% said CNBC, 30% NBC Sports Gold, 34% versus. My favorite response on all of this, Car McFast won, what's versus? <laughs> <laughs> that, in, in my opinion, defaulted the winner two verses because yes. that was the point. If you have no idea what verses was, then I think that that proves that it should win that poll. Uh, other responses, Jeremy from HBG. Did you know you have to pay for an extra tier to get CNBC on sling? I didn't either. Instead, I found you can get a free 45 uh, minute preview on NBC sports website. That is correct. So if you have yeah. weird in race issues, they'll, they'll do that uh, for you. Uh, Racer Mac RTP one. People want to knock the idea of streaming in a paywall. Don't get the long-term good that you can do with streaming in general. But hey, let's keep bouncing from low-rated cable channel to low-rated cable channel. I voted Versus, even though the coverage was fantastic. Yeah, Versus was great. If you had it. Yeah, (laughs) nobody had it. You know, formerly the Outdoor Life Network. Yes. So you were surrounded by 
bull riding and hunting and fishing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the then, Tour you de know, France. Smack dab in the middle of the day, but there'd be an auto race. Yeah, Tour de France was also on there back in the day. That's true. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Poet Shevchenko's uh, voted gold. Anything good about it was done by Peacock better and with broader reach, correct? Uh, Indy Nathan saying so far Peacock doesn't have all the previous season's races like gold did. Actually still show up in gold with no way to access them. Did not know that. Thanks for the update. Uh, Zave J32, Sportsnet in Canada. They have the races on obscure channels, but also the amount of commercials really bugs me more. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then Our someone else, Canadian friend. yeah, Zach Curley, eight, seven, seven, one, responded with OLN, the outdoor life network, like you just mentioned. So, yeah, um, definitely, definitely a, uh, a network that very few people know. Um, okay. Then you also posted very this, less people miss <laughs> true. You also posted <laughs> a poll who had the best weekend at Detroit. 59% said Pato 26% said Marcus Erickson. 10% Ferrucci, 5% Ray Hall, uh, Jeremy from HBG. Two of the listed drivers have made fresh contracts next year, likely. Uh, let's dive into that because I'm not actually sure. Will this be... Uh, obviously, one of them is, is Erickson, right? I mean, that's got to be one yeah, that he's referring to. to. Graham has a long-term Eric deal, so it's it's not Graham. Who's the other? Is it Pato? Is he on a, a one-year deal? Or is it Ferrucci? Because Ferrucci, I, I, we don't I even know. Ferrucci, I, I feel like Pato wouldn't go anywhere anyway. Um, but yeah, I think the answer is Ferrucci and Marcus Erickson. But you know, no guarantees for Marcus Erickson. Like we said earlier, Caleb, Felix Rosenquist won a race last year for Canassi. True, he did, and then he left to go to a perceived better team, and it was not working out before the crash. I just hope he'll be able to come back and and put some results together because he needs them. I mean, that's a Leader circle entry that's on the cusp of not getting it for next year at the moment. Uh, yeah, our one Cole, of those teams that if you don't finish in the leader circle, uh, you're very likely to lose your job. That's uh, yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't think that's, uh, I don't think that's a, a stretch at all. Uh, our Cole says Ferrucci, due to the fact that he wasn't even supposed to be racing any cars this weekend, even after his qualifying crash, he managed to finish tenth. RLL as a team had a good showing all weekend. Poet Shevchenko, I vote Erickson because he probably saved his spot at CGR. Granted, Rosenquist also got his first win in his last year with CGR. But Erickson has been having good enough of a year. Otherwise, I think he's pretty good to go. Yeah. Well, and Erickson's been more consistent. Rosenquist was kind of all over the map last season. Yeah, he was. I mean, that's true. I mean, Erickson now, what, he's seventh in the standings? Uh, Erickson Um, is seventh, correct. Yeah, firmly in there. Has a ways to go to jump in that top five, but um, and I think he has what five top tens, in, and I think is you know every race but one has been twelfth or higher. So correct, you mentioned it. Uh, very consistent for Marcus Erickson. Does he need to be more in the conversation for podiums? Yeah, probably. But through the first half of the year, he's he's done enough. I feel to return to Ganassi in twenty twenty two. All right, some uh, responses on Kevin Magnuson. Uh, racing for McLaren this weekend. Uh, Transocean Trojan, too bad. It's just the one race because even with an experienced dude like JPM, takes a couple weeks to get up to speed. I'll be very surprised if he's competitive right off the bat. Interesting points. Uh, Scuba Steve 85 posted a, a GIF. <laughs> it's just great. It's uh, from The Good Place if you've ever seen the show. Holy forking shirt balls. <laughs> <laughs> and then... Uh, Hunter's Way 67. Let's see if I can get this right. Pretty good. Pretty, pretty, pretty good. 
<laughs> Very nice. I uh, do my best. Uh, uh, um, wow, name escapes me. Who am I? Who am I impersonating there? Uh, what is it? Curb name? your enthusiasm, Larry David. There we go. Yes, there you go, Larry David. All right. Uh, yeah. So you know, let's talk Kevin Magnuson and um, the opportunity that arose. We felt okay. Eventually, he'll be in a Ganassi car. Uh, but here he is, uh, McLaren making a splash, and and could you see it being more than a one and done, Caleb? Maybe not necessarily with McLaren. Maybe 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 with McLaren. But uh, is this the one and only race for for Kevin Magnussen this year? Um, probably. I mean, I just I don't see another opportunity presenting itself. Which is, un- no I mean, other, it's unfortunate, uh, but... Drivers, uh, cars going uh, headfirst and accelerating into the wall? I, I don't think that's likely. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope it's now, not do likely. do you see, you know, is Kevin Magnuson maybe is, you know, I, I don't think uh, his 2020-2022 future is on the line this weekend, but could this be a uh, trial run of sorts with McLaren? Uh... No, because he has that uh, WEC ride next year. So, I mean, I'm not I mean, sure the it be schedule. Could a partial but... third schedule? Third... Oh, oh, as uh, far as know. that goes? Yeah, I mean, it's a possibility. I, it's just, it's such a big ask to come in this weekend. You've never driven an IndyCar. I, I get you're going to get a solid amount of track time, but this is not a test. It's a race weekend. It's a whole other level. And just for him, if he can just finish the race, to me, that is essentially a win. Yeah, I, I feel like Kevin Magnuson, this is his first um, first true race in IndyCar, and, and I see very much a Roman Grosjean reaction. Uh, I think he's really going to take to the style of racing, uh, to the competitiveness, to actually having a car that is uh, you know not a tractor, as we've heard the Haas cars <laughs> before called. So I really think Kevin Magnuson... If he has a solid weekend, uh, you know, even if it's just bringing the thing home in one piece and, you know, a lap or two down, I think he's going to be beaming. And I think he's a guy that, uh, that wants to be an IndyCar. And I, I feel he's at least a partial entry next year. Maybe it's a car that's being split or whatever. But there's not very many WEC races. What is there, five or six on schedule? So there's not yeah. a lot of conflicts with WEC. So I could see him running the majority of the races in 2022 for somebody. Yeah, I could, I could see that. Um, a couple other tweets to get to before we move to news and notes. Uh, Jeremy from HBG gave race two a solid seven and a half, subtracting a point for coverage shenanigans. Um, Transocean Trojan gave it another nine less action to start. Uh, in was superb. Racing Detroit was pretty amazing. If you're a street road course fan, I'd also knock it down a few points. We were factoring in other things like how terrible the broadcast was. Still, though, really great race, in my opinion. Um, let's see. Some others from race number one. We we got so many responses, I can't even I can't even keep track of them. Uh, race one, Jeremy from HBG gave it an eight. Ben Smith for real just said sucked and attributing the quote to Will Power, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> um, Transocean Trojan gave race one a nine really exciting race tons of passing good interesting strategy if I factor the red flag in drops to a seven but I don't see how you can get a more exciting race bar pass for the lead or something on the last lap which just might have happened yeah again thought it was pretty solid and then 
we've gone all over the um the stuff regarding willpower and his his anger um yeah so i think i think that finally covers uh, all the tweets so thanks to everyone for the tweets uh jefferson and the email thank you that wraps up the mailbag so we'll get to other stuff um <laughs> man other stuff yeah other Some stuff so one thing i saw over the weekend and i saw this first from tsoladder.com and steve woodich um we should expect uh another lights team um now here's the deal tj speed motorsports this guy um who was an engineer at hunkos racing engineer tim neff uh they parted wa- they parted ways but he's starting his own team uh, during the offseason, he entered four cars in the first two rounds of the Formula Regional Americas Championship, powered by Honda. Then he also purchased the Bellardi Auto Racing Indy Lights equipment, expected to enter the top rung of the road to Indy next season. So, that's that multiple is, cars with Bellardi, correct? Yeah. So, I mean, I would guess two entries with that. I mean, that's pretty significant. Yeah, that's absolutely uh, good news for sure. So you hope you hang on to all of the current uh, lights cars, which is always kind of an unknown. So uh, that would be good for growth for sure. Um, Also, we got uh, some news. Let's see here. So an interesting comment uh, a lot of interesting comments by Pinsky, by other drivers of the weekend that just makes you kind of want to read into what's going on. So <laughs> first off, Scott Pruitt has joined the Ganassi team, driver coach for Jimmy Johnson. Um, uh-huh. Also, we learned over the weekend, uh, Roger Pinsky on, uh, you know, will they run four next year? Uh, this is according yeah. to Jenna Fryer. He says, Simon Pachon is not re-signed at this time. Will he be back? Roger said, quote, I would hope so. Um, then also Bruce Martin tweeting on the uh, makeup races. Penske said makeup races don't really help us too much. We had to do it last year. Just to have a series. And then Bruce says that likely means the canceled Toronto race won't be rescheduled elsewhere. Kind of mentioned that earlier, but like, more verification on that. This news coming Friday. Um, let's see. Elio will have the Transcard LLC livery uh, for the Music City GP that also announced. Um, let's you know, see. Yeah, Caleb, yeah. real quick before you keep going, you, you you mentioned that quote from Bruce Martin from Roger Penske. Here's another thing, you know, on the side of Roger Penske. If you're Penske, the team owner, and thinking about a championship and where his drivers are, particularly uh, Joseph Newgarden, I mean, Joseph Newgarden needs every single race on the schedule to try to make up that gap, right? He's currently 51 points behind. So what do you want to do if you're Team Penske? You want to add as many races as possible. Even an extra one could be the difference. Yeah, Roger Penske's not thinking like a team owner. He's thinking about a series owner and and thinking about what's best for the series and where it can make money. And, and quite frankly, doubleheaders don't make them money, at least unplanned doubleheaders. So uh, that's another, you know, just remember that. when Anytime you want to think conspiracy theory with what happens for Team Penske, you know, positive or whatever, is that could just be an easy, easy thing to add another race to help his drivers try to win a championship. But no, he's thinking series wide, what's best for the entire series. And then 
This from Jenna Fryer. Scott Dixon on Zoom says Kevin Magnuson came to the U.S. to race IndyCar. Says others are sniffing around the Series 2. <laughs> Jenna said, I shall try to sniff out those sniffers. <laughs> who who do you think would be the drivers who are sniffing around? It has to be inactive. Is he talking F1 drivers? Um, Not, not specified, but I mean... I would think former F1 guys, some guys currently in F1. Look, we know that, uh, what is it, Antonio Felix da Costa could be in line for yeah. some IndyCar drives later, even later this season. He tested with Ray Hall in the offseason. Um, people are mentioning, you know, Alexander Albon, Daniel Kvyat, you know, could even Botas if he gets dropped from Mercedes, which I think we kind of all expect. Yeah, but I think he gets snatched up I, by somebody. I else. would think he'd still stay in F one. Uh, but like, yeah. who are who are guys that are on the out that probably aren't coming back? I mean, would Kimi Raikkonen be interested? I doubt it. Yeah, I, I don't know how many current F one drivers are even talking about IndyCar because you know you're in the you're in the premier series in the world. You're not thinking about life after F one when you're in F one, really. Um, who is who's the kid that's uh, that's um, a really good American that wanted to win F3. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Logan Sargent. Um, yeah, Logan Sargent. Could he be an Indy Lights guy maybe as early as next year? Do we see him jumping right into an IndyCar ride? Well, it was looking like lights, but then I think he, he found something. In fact, he is racing in F3 in the moment for this year and also has done a race for the European Le Mans series. So he's in F3 this year. Not that he's really having much success um i can see you know the funding and dried up anyway uh for him going forward in what f2 mm-hmm. um so could that be potentially somebody to watch as well um i feel like that's that's a definite i feel like we're missing somebody else too that that's kind of throwing it around but uh, i it's tough to talk current f1 drivers i, I really think you're your best bet is looking for other drivers that have either ran out of funding for Europe or others, uh, you know, does uh, the, the supercars, you know, does that open windows? Does, uh, you know, super formula out of Japan with, with seeing how uh, Santino Perucci is doing, does that open avenues? So uh, I feel like there's a lot of interest around the world, not just, you know, from current F1 drivers or former F1 drivers, despite the fact that we have seven of them in this week's race. And speaking of F1, Grosjean's test with Mercedes, that's been postponed because of travel restrictions and quarantine requirements. I don't think that's a big surprise, um, but it will happen. Uh, also, a couple of things. More on Pen- Penske just has, has said a lot within the last week. Um, he says he wants his current IndyCar aces as part of the Porsche, uh, IMSA, Enduros, and the 24 Hours of Le Mans. That will be at the LMDH program coming up in 2023. I don't think that's a surprise. Penske also said this also from motorsport.com. He doesn't believe motorsport needs to become all electric by 2030 to remain relevant to OEMs. I could not disagree more. I agree. Now all electric, probably not, but electric option or, or something similar. Yeah. I mean, Look at it. I mean, we have Formula E, and we see the popularity with manufacturers and that. We heard today uh, that 
NASCAR is looking into an all-electric companion series. Mm-hmm. And they have another rumored uh, OEM. Really? No idea who really? it is, but uh, no, I just... Who knows, but... Yeah. You know, IndyCar is touting that it's going hybrid, finally, and yet you have Formula E, which, you know, is doing its thing. You have NASCAR looking ahead to all-electric. You know, we've said it before, Caleb, is IndyCar just seems to be a step behind, at least, in everything. Uh, almost everything outside of you know the aero screen safety, but yeah, safety they're um, a step ahead. <laughs> give them credit yeah, there. We will give them credit for that, but but here we are, um, just adopting hybrids when a lot of other series around the world are already looking at all electric, and it could be a companion series. I, I think that I, you don't need IndyCar to be all electric or whatever. Maybe it's just as simple as a. You know, IndyCar and, you know, it's IND capital E car. I don't know. And that's a companion series. Yeah, I, I I don't know if that's the right avenue, but, I mean, they'll at least have the hybrid stuff starting in 2023 for IndyCar, but I think this technology will advance faster than people think. I feel like hybrid was cutting edge five years ago. Uh, I feel like it was cutting edge... Ten year, I mean, F one had the curse system, you know, more than ten years ago. Yeah, true. Yeah, I mean, that was two thousand eight or here, nine. I, I think in the United States, I think in terms of auto racing, you know, it's at least five years behind. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, and and NASCAR is kind of going. You know, we're going to skip the whole hybrid thing, and we're just going all electric for a series. Which, <laughs> to be fair, if it's a separate series, then that can probably work. But if it was for a cup. I mean, you'd have to yeah, have a no, lot yeah, more. It's not going to be that. And nine years, you know, 2030, that's not a far, that's not a long way away when you break it down, less than a decade. I have a hard time thinking all electric series are going to be it in nine years. Uh, I, I don't think so. You, I think you need to have an electric, all electric component of your series, um, but not necessarily your top tier be electric couple other things with news and notes before we wrap up. Uh, Grand Prix of Portland tickets go on sale June 21st. PortlandGP.com. That is for three-day tickets. That's coming up pretty soon. Let's yeah, see what else. Uh, Road America, some three key stats courtesy of Chad 200. Rossi won in 2019, but only one other top 12 finish in six starts. Also, he hasn't won since that win at Road America in 2019. Uh, Pagano completed all 378 laps. Only three top 10, zero podiums, two laps led. Ryan Hunter Ray hasn't led a lap here, but has had four top four finishes. So things to keep in mind this weekend. Some sad news. Uh, Cody Unser uh, posted on Facebook that Bobby Unser Jr. passed away earlier this week. So um, sending our prayers to the Unser family with that. Um, and with that, anything else that we missed, Justin? Uh, we missed our random driver of the week. Oh, that's right. Who you got? The best part of the podcast right here is uh, we're going to go to 2005, and we're going to talk Champ Car. Okay. And Fabrizio Del Monte, uh, one of your favorites. Yeah, I got, I got nothing. He raced two races in Champ Car for Jensen Motorsport. Also never Started heard of that Grand team. Prix of Long Beach. 
and uh, finished 16th and then raced the at Surfer's Paradise that year for HVM Racing. Fabrizio Del Monte, born in 1980 in Italy, drove for three seasons in European Formula 3000 before driving in Champ Car events in 2005. Uh, he said he had secured Midland's third driver's seat <laughs> for the 2006 San Marino Grand Prix, but this fell through due to lack of sponsorship. So almost started an F1 race, but uh, Fabrizio Del Monte never, fit, never started an F1 race, never entered an F1 race, and just two champ car events in 2005, Mr. Del Monte is your random split-era driver of the week. You're missing the most interesting part. So CTE Racing, and that's not the uh, concussion thing, Cedric the Entertainer Racing. Um. Really? I didn't know yeah. that was a thing. Yeah, that that was the uh, primary sponsor. So it was CTE Racing-HVM. So that was the Keith yeah, Wiggins that team that competed before. in IndyCar. So CTE Racing was, uh, was a part of that. So Cedric the Entertainer, um, yeah, that <laughs> I didn't even know you had uh, involvement with IndyCar slash Champ Car. Yeah, I think it was, yeah, that's wild. So you're correct. And uh, I did not know Cedric the Entertainer had a team. That's amazing. We all learned something yeah. during the random split-era driver of the week segment. Yeah, I mean, Carbello sponsored an IndyCar team a year after that, but Cedric the Entertainer, you know, major role before then. So just ahead of the game. Man. <laughs> I did not know. If you would have given me a million guesses on a random celebrity that you did not know was involved in IndyCar racing, I would not have ever guessed Cedric the Entertainer. No, same. I would have guessed Walter Payton before because Payton coin racing. Yeah. Which, and he would have been correct. Yeah. <laughs> oh, for sure. All right. So time for tweets of the week. Uh, we have a few. Um, Alan Sir Jr. tweeted that I followed Mario Andretti my whole life. I'm going to follow him again this weekend at Road American, the two seater. It's taking me for the ride of my life. And Mario tweeted, so funny, Alan Sir Jr. bought himself a ride in my two seater. <laughs> <laughs> and then this from Zach of the Track. Gene Haas appreciation tweet. When Indy Lights took a season off, he developed his own road to Indy. Ooh. <laughs> Man, may, may, maybe even himself to follow at some point. <laughs> Who knows? I mean, once he sells Haas, which I think we, yeah, that'll happen. What this off season, next off season? I, yeah, I feel the the. I mean, maybe he holds on for twenty twenty two because of the new new regs. But I mean, the writing's on the wall there. I mean, once he steps away, is he going to be done, or does he want to keep himself still entertained? So we'll see. Maybe he'll follow his drivers. Then final tweet of the week. This is in reply to Marshall Pruitt. Um, Someone just said, this is the Cincy Buckeye. Congrats to Pato. And it's a picture of Novak Djokovic after winning the French Open. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. Spot on. Spot on. That's just (laughs) a little bit of humor uh, after all of that this weekend. All right. So we'll be back next week. We'll recap Road America and... We'll be past the halfway point. I mean, I guess technically we already are if they don't replace that Toronto race. But, I mean, we're we're in the thick of the championship now. You know, I feel like, yeah, it feels like we automatically go. It's kind of got going from winter to summer. There's no spring. 
we go from the season where we say it's early in the season to then, you know, all of a sudden one race we're like, uh, yeah, we're getting into the nitty-gritty of, of the points championship here. So I feel like we're reaching that point. We're kind of turning the corner on it's early to, oh, crap. And I think we're going to see the turning of that page this week at Road America and in a couple weeks at Mid-Ohio. So basically like the transition from summer to fall to winter in Indiana, you got, you know, September, it's still really hot. You got like two good weeks where it feels like fall in October and then boom, winter. Yeah, absolutely. And conversely, you know, you go from winter, you have a couple days in the 50s and 60s and then it's 80s. Except this week, it's been been a little cooler until recently, but I'm okay with the cooler weather turning back up this weekend. Yeah, yeah, no thanks. All right, well, we'll be back next week to re- recap Road America, the Rev Group Grand Prix. For Justin Kinney, I am Caleb Hatch. Thanks for joining us on New Track Record Podcast. Podcasts by Federated Media.